Our text is, the series text is Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. It says, So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. That last line is best known to us from its King James Version that appears in the Old Testament minor prophet Habakkuk in Romans chapter 117, in Galatians 3.11, in Hebrews chapter 10. It all says, say it with me, the just shall live by faith. That was the emphasis, that was the cornerstone doctrinal truth that was pressed and brought to light during the period of history called the Protestant Reformation. 500 years ago this last month, October 31st, 1517, 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg church door and he was basically attempting to try to enter into a discussion uh, because they all appeared in Latin and the public couldn't read Latin. They were basically an illiterate culture. Bibles chained to pulpits in every village across Europe and Martin was not attempting to incite any kind of riot in that sense among the people. Uh, and if you, you think that there was a crowd standing there cheering Martin on, it really wasn't. Because October 31st, 1517 was really an uneventful day. It took a few years for what Martin began to do. This was the seedbed that he had planted as he began to open the Word of God and he saw justification by faith alone through grace alone, in Christ alone, based upon the Word of God alone, sola scriptura, to the end that the glory would be God's alone, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. So those were the five banner cries of the Reformation. And it was all about justification by faith alone. Now if you ask any Christian, regardless of his or her um, the label in their robe of righteousness, no matter what the denominational affiliation is, everybody would say, yes, do you believe in justification by faith? They would all say yes. But when you put the important word alone behind faith, justification by faith alone, then it begins to draw the line in the sand in terms of where people view works, in terms of something that they have to earn God's favor. They, in other words, it's faith plus something. It's faith plus circumcision. It's faith plus baptism. It's faith plus uh, behaving a certain way. Faith plus not doing something. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't run with boys who do. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, whatever your particular code of, uh, of law is that you think what makes a Christian from an external side, all of those things begin to come in line because it's faith plus that. And so Martin is standing against the tidal wave of a thousand years of tradition and darkness that has pervaded the church and he begins to resurrect just the simplicity of the gospel, that faith alone in Christ will transform lives. Where religion attempts to conform people, to shape them, to mold them to a particular view or a particular worldview or mindset, a relationship with Jesus Christ will transform you. And transformation comes from the inside out, very much the way you see a caterpillar that spins a cocoon and then emerges in the spring after a struggle as a completely different creature, a beautiful butterfly, which is the picture of new life in Christ. The new creation is what makes all the difference. And so we've learned through this series that it's about the cross. The cross has made the difference. Christ is our champion on the cross. Christ is the seed of Abraham. 
He is, this is what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. So the message text this morning is Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. And I'd like you to read the whole verse with me, please. It says, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. King James says, faith which works by love. So it's not just raw belief. It's not just merely getting your doctrines right, but not having a spirit of love in which you share them. But it's faith that is expressed through love because God is love. Somebody say amen. All right, with that, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, we ask you today that you would help us bring clarity to what sometimes can be confusing. Thank you for the struggle that the Apostle Paul laid out for us in this letter to those churches in Galatia. Thank you, Jesus, for your life for us. You became the sin offering. You who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you today that because we're in Christ, we get a fresh start. We get a new beginning. We're new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. Help us today to renew our thinking to who we are now and not live in the world of who we used to be. Uh, apart from you, I know I can do nothing, but today I'm grateful that I'm not apart from you. Anoint my words, be in my, my thoughts, be in the, 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 the communication of my faith. Lead me by the Holy Spirit. Be in the hearing of your people. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand and perceive this beautiful thing called the kingdom of God. We'll be careful to give you praise and all of God's people said, amen. Our one thing that we want to bring to bear throughout all this message this morning is this concept. Read it with me, please. Christ set us free at the cross. When we abandon grace for law, we always lose. By going back to the cross, we stay free. So find it and read it one more time. Here we go. Christ set us free at the cross. When we abandon grace for law, we always lose. By going back to the cross, we stay free. So I want to show you this morning three things through this section of Scripture. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 in this concept of faith to stay free. Because if we abandon grace for law, we always lose. So all of these sections here today that I'm going to open, hopefully to help you understand what's being said, is all about losers. If we're under the law, we're a loser. We're going to lose something. It's only when we're under grace that we can win in Christ, that we can win these things that are stolen from us. Because the enemy of our soul is a thief whose job description is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest, have it more abundantly, the King James says. Verse 1 of Galatians chapter 5, the first point is the slave loses his liberty. Remember, if we abandon grace for law, we lose always. We are losers. So the slave loses his liberty. Look at the verse, one verse only. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Look at the line that's emboldened and say that with me. Make sure that you stay free. And he goes on to say, and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Probably second year 
at Arkansas State University, still doing the three by five cards, walking out of my, I was in a, an apartment by then, the second year, and I would head to campus, and it would be on the sun visor on my 1977 Thunderbird. I was cool. I, I, I thought I was, anyway. I probably really wasn't, but I thought I was. And, and so I'd head to, head to campus, and I'd take it off the, the sun visor and stick it in my pocket. And I remembered memorizing Galatians 5, 1 in the King James. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Stand fast. Hold true. Stay free. In other words, it's, it's for freedom. The, the NIV says it's for freedom that Christ has made us free. So God didn't just do this just to set you free, just to be at liberty to do anything you wanted, but it's for true freedom in Christ where we can enjoy the fulfillment that comes where Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest or have it more abundantly. He says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the yoke of slavery to the law. Now, I, I, I want you to understand what this whole yoke is because this is, um, this is Middle Eastern language. Uh, we, we had an agricultural economy. As a matter of fact, when we say agricultural culture, it's just almost um, redundant because agriculture speaks of a culture that is dominated by the land, what you're growing. Agriculture is, is the, the, the standardized form in which we learn how to bring a greater degree of product out of the ground by not just randomly tossing seed, but we learn to be able to take advantage of the, uh, the soil and the seed and just by discovery, fertilizer that helps us produce a greater yield in our crops. And so an agricultural economy is dominating the whole mindset. Everything is surrounded by uh, raising animals and growing crops. Jesus preaches messages that relate to people who are seeing wheat grow in the field, that are catching fish out of the lake, that are seeing sheep in the pen or that are, that are grazing them and leading them down by the pasture. So everything is an agricultural economy. And in this economy, we see that in order to, to reap the greatest benefit from that soil, we have to plow that soil, and we have to till it and prepare it. And, and they would use animals of great strength, oxen, and the ox had to be fitted with what was called a yoke. And so it was a, a great... Um, Wood, a combination of wood and leather that would fit around the, the, the neck of that draft animal that would pull a plow and, and the person behind that would help lead the direction in which that animal was going to be breaking open the, the fallow ground. Okay? And so the ground would break open and they would till it and till it and till it until it was fine enough so that they could plant seed and then reap a crop. Okay? And so that's what's going on. So the, the yoke has to properly fit the animal that's pulling it. And there is a particular scripture in the law, interestingly enough, that says you don't yoke together an ox and an ass. Now, pardon me, I should have translated the King James. Don't want to offend anybody, but you don't yoke an ox next to a donkey because they have different natures and they're going to be pulling against each other. Which really can be a marriage principle if you think about it. You, the, the oxen don't want to marry the asses, so to speak. And I'll leave that alone because you're going to be pulling again. 
against each other instead of pulling together for the sake of the kingdom of God or for your vision for your family. Somebody say amen. Amen. See, that's the free part. That wasn't even in my message. But you have to have on a yoke. And so the yoke has to fit you and the, the yoke has to be right. And a yoke that is loose and too large will eventually wear the hide off of the animal. So it has to be... It has to fit snugly, but it can't be too tight because if it's too constricting, then the animal is choking. Uh, my, both of my pets, um, when I, when I got, try, started trying to train them to walk with me, uh, Hollywood Feeds sold me these particular um, uh, leashes that uh, as soon as they would, would try to pull away from me, it would sort of tighten up the collar. And so they learned you know, that, they would, that they would learn how to slow down and walk with me at my pace. <laughs> and, and, and so it's kind of the principle of the yoke. It, you, you want it to fit because when, when Odie and Copper get in the backyard, Copper is the little one and his, his leash is a little bit loose and so they'll start wrestling with each other and Copper will come in the house and his leash is not on his neck. And so he doesn't have on his tag that identifies who he is and that my name is on the other side and a phone number in case he gets out and gets lost. And, and plus his rabies certification is hanging on that tag. And so I have to go search the whole yard because in their playing with each other, Odie has grabbed Copper's collar and pulled it off of him because it was too loose. So the yoke has to fit. It has to be on tight enough so that it doesn't chafe but not too tight so that it doesn't restrict, okay, in order to be able to do the job. And so Jesus comes along speaking to this agricultural economy where people understand this. They see it every day. It's just part of their lives. And he looks at them and he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke. Everybody say yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says, and you will find rest for your souls. So he gives rest and then there's a rest that's found. There's a rest that's given when we first come to Christ. But then there's a rest that's found when I continue to learn how to walk with Jesus. And I begin to mature in my relationship with him. And he says, for I'm meek and lowly, learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. He said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, that's great news to a people who had by this point already been several millennia, thousands of years under the yoke of Pharisaical Judaism. Because this is the imagery that had become well known among the people that spoke of the law of God. It was a yoke around the people's necks that they were bound to. And so Jesus is saying, these teachers that you've been following and you have been fitted with their yoke, they pile all this weight on you and don't want to share one bit in the burden to help you. And Jesus looks at them and he said, they are twice the children of hell. And so he says, enough of all of this. You're broken, you're hurting, you're wounded, you're worn out, you're burnt out. Come unto me and take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus is saying, I have a yoke for you, but it's not a yoke of bondage. It's a yoke that will actually set you free. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. And so he says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. And I want you to see that he's saying that the yoke that's going to be yours is not an external force of law but it's an internal leading of the Holy Spirit. 
How much better is it when we have something inside of us that motivates us to do right rather than something outside of us telling you better do right? Are you seeing the difference? An external force can never accomplish what a transformed heart that has the leading of the Holy Spirit in it will do. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because he says, I'm going to get up on the inside of your heart and change you from the inside out. Come on, give God some praise. Why? Christ set us free at the cross. When we abandon grace for law, we always lose. We are losers. The slave loses his freedom. By going back to the cross, we stay free. We must make sure that we stay free, Paul says. The second section, second point this morning, is the debtor loses his wealth. If I'm enslaved to the law, I lose my liberty. But if I'm indebted to the law, I lose every bit of wealth that is mine, the riches that God has provided for me. Look at this in verse 2. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Look at that. I have it in italics because I want you to see this. Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you are expecting anything outside of Jesus himself to give you favor with God, then Christ is meaningless. Putting your trust in Him is totally in vain. He will have no benefit if you're expecting to do something of the flesh and have part of your body altered. All the gentlemen who are Gentiles are going to have to get circumcised because in order to be a Christian, you have to be a good Jew first, was what the Judaizers were teaching. And Paul is standing up against that and adamantly opposing it, saying that is nonsense. You are saved now, and the circumcision has taken place in your heart and not in your physical man. Whether you're uncircumcised or circumcised, he says in our series text, that is not going to make anything available to you. It's not going to make any difference or any benefit. The only thing that matters is faith which works by love. Faith which expresses itself through love. Somebody say amen. Verse 3, I'll say it again. You are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised. And look at this next phrase. You must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Let's just get the text and let's read on. Verse 4. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, here's another phrase, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Verse 5, But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Verse 6, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. So from this text, I want you to grab three critical phrases. And Sarah, you're doing an amazing job. You always do. Let's go back and grab them this morning. I want you to see three critical phrases. The first one is in verse 2. Christ will be of no benefit to you. The first critical phrase is this idea that if you put your trust in anything else besides Jesus, then Jesus has no benefit. Okay. The second critical phrase is if you're going to try to keep the law and you think you're going to get favor by keeping it, it says you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. That's a critical phrase. Number two, it's like this. You're speeding down the highway 25 miles an hour over the speed limit and the highway pastor turns on the blue lights and pulls you over and says, hey, I just wanted to bless you today. Here's a little piece of paper. And you want to go, well, can you give me a warning? I mean, I haven't killed anybody. I, I've kept that part of the law. He says, well, great. I'm glad you haven't. I, I would be chasing you for a different reason if you had done that. 
it, we can't appeal to the part of the law that we've kept uh, in order to excuse us from the part of the law that we've broken. Because the law is whole, it is, it is integral, like an integer, it's a whole number, it is a whole law. When you break one part of it, then you've broken the whole law and you have to keep every regulation of the whole law of Moses. This is what the book of James says. You know, you, you, you've broken this little part, then you're guilty of the whole thing. Okay? And, and, and that's the reason that we recognize that even sins of varying degrees of thought, word, and deed all have the same result, and that is that it separates us from God. Now, all sin is not the same, but all sin has the same result, and that sin separates us from God. Okay? A sin in thought is not the same as if I actually carry it out and I actually do it, because when I do something in deed, then I've affected other people. Right now, it's just up in my head, and I still have the capacity right now to reach up and in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, cast down that imagination and bring that thought into the obedience of Christ. If I entertain it, Martin Luther said this, I thought my granddad did for years. Granddad Blake said, you know what, son, you can't help it if a bird flies over your head, but you can certainly keep him from building a nest in your hair. And what that old timer was saying was, you know, we all have passing thoughts, but it's when you let it land and you let it build a nest that it becomes a problem. And so the thought, a passing thought is not a sin, just cast it down. When you draw it on in and lay feet out for it and, and, and create a space and throw some pelts and go, here, raise some babies. Ha, put your eggs here, have your hashlings. How many of you know you, you, you're going you're gonna to get pregnant with lust and you're going to birth sin? Come on, somebody. And so that's what happens. That's what James 1 says. And so we want to recognize that, that sin, all, of, all sins of all kinds, have the same result. That is, it separates us from God. And the law doesn't have the ability to change us. It can only accuse us. Uh, unlike grace, grace has the ability. It is all about God's ability, His unmerited favor that He pours out upon us, that it gets inside of us and it empowers us to do from the inside an internal leading what an external force can never make me do, now the presence of Christ on the inside just lives and does. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. All right. So three critical phrases. And the next one is in verse 4. It says, For if you are trying to keep, make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now, this is not teaching that you lose your salvation because if it is, it disagrees with all the rest of Scripture. It would disagree with so much of what Paul's already written. It literally is saying when you fall away from grace, you've fallen out from the sphere of influence of the grace of God on your life. And so because of that, all you're inheriting is an accusing law, a, a finger of accusation in your life. And when accusation comes, it's nothing but guilt and shame and condemnation. And that is not the work of the Holy Spirit. Grace lifts you. It convicts you. Come on, somebody. That's going to sting. It, it, it's it's going to sting because it's going to convict you of sin. But it's going to give you grace and forgiveness and healing and mercy and correction and the justice of God, which is going to bring you into a place of wholeness. Come on, somebody. All right. And so he says, what is important is faith which expresses itself in love. I don't, I don't have time to look at the parable of the debtors. It, it's in your notes there. Uh, Luke 7, 36 through 50. Just very briefly, just to say, 
that Jesus is teaching, and he says, there are two guys who own a banker, a creditor, debts. One was a little amount, the other one was a massive amount, but the issue was they were both the same. Neither one of them could pay their debt back. And the creditor forgave them both. And he asked the question, because they were sitting in the presence of a woman of ill reputation who had brought an ointment uh, a fine ointment of perfume and had sat down and had washed Jesus' feet with her tears and, and with her hair had dried it and anointed his head and his feet with this expensive perfume. And, and they were accusing him of saying, don't you know the history of this woman? And he basically rebukes them and says, two people are forgiven, one of something little and something, one of something great. Which one loves the most in response to what they've been forgiven? And they answered, obviously, well, the one who's been forgiven the most. And he says, so is this woman. And so I forgive her. And she was released not just to go back to that lifestyle, but to have a fresh start, to be a new creation in Christ. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Thirdly this morning, we lose our wealth when we are indebted to the law. Remember, anytime we abandon grace for law, we're a loser. We're going to lose something. The slave loses his liberty. The debtor loses his wealth. And there are spiritual riches that are in Christ. Ephesians 1.7 says the riches of His grace. Ephesians 1.18 talks about the riches of His glory. Romans 11.33, the riches of His wisdom. Ephesians 3.8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Colossians 2.3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And there are riches in Christ that you forfeit, that you lose when you abandon grace and you take up the law. When you move outside the sphere of the influence of God's grace and quit looking to Him to graciously put His favor on your life and you start thinking that you can earn your way into making God pleased with who you are, then you have just abandoned all of that. You've just gone back into slavery and you've just become a debtor. Come on, somebody. Christ set us free at the cross. When we abandon grace for law, we always lose. By going back to the cross, we stay free. Last point and I'm finished this morning. Are you getting anything out of this? Look at this section. The runner loses his direction. The runner loses his direction. Everybody in this chapter is a loser that Paul is writing about. If I abandon grace for law, I become a slave and lose my freedom. If I abandon grace for law, I become a debtor and I lose my wealth. If I abandon grace for law, I'm a runner that will lose my direction. And so he uses all of this imagery... And he says in verse 7, you were running the race so well. Now this is a very practical chapter now because for four chapters, Paul has presented an argument. Now chapters 5 and 6, he's going to give us the application. For four chapters, Paul has been very doctrinal. And now the last two, he's going to become very practical. And so if you've been in this place going, man, this is great stuff that I'm hearing, but I want something that will help me make it through the week. Well, these next three messages or what that's all about. Because Paul has been building to this point, and every argument now rolls into an application. Every doctrine rolls into practice where it can change our lives. He says, You were running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for He is the one who called you to freedom. And then he changes the imagery again in verse 9. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. 
I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Verse 11 and 12, and we're finished. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, then why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, nobody would be offended. Verse 12, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Now, this gets really graphic in the Greek, and I'm going to be sensitive, but you can figure out what Paul is basically saying here. So let me get this and we'll finish. We want to understand the imagery. Paul was born and raised during the time the golden era of the Greek Olympic Games. And so he uses this Olympic imagery in so many of his letters, running the race with patience, pressing, pressing on. It's the weightlifter, uh, boxing, um, just all, all of the imagery that he uses over and over and over and over again is all of this that is depicting the games that they're seeing in that Mediterranean culture all the way around the Mediterranean Sea. And these Olympic contests are uh, important because he's basically saying, you guys started off this relationship with Christ and you were running this race so well. And it's the idea of a runner who has a lane in which he needs to stay in. And I'll, I'll, I'll take liberty and say he or she. In those days, it was only the men who competed, but we know that, that in Christ, there's neither male nor female. So this morning... A brother, a sister, you're running in the lane and Paul is saying you were running so well but it's as if somebody came in and deliberately and tried to push you out of your lane to disqualify you. And so he's likening this imagery to the Judaizers that are coming in and pushing them out of the lane of grace, out of faith that is working by love and pushing them back into an old kind of observance of the law. You better be circumcised. You better keep the whole law of Moses in order to be a good Christian. He says, you were running so well, who's coming and pushed you out? Who's held you back? He says, it certainly isn't God, for He is the one who called you to freedom. Because if we abandon grace for law, we are always losers. And He changes His imagery and He starts to give us a cooking principle. Yeast. Leaven. King James says leaven. Jesus likens leaven to sin. Leaven in the church, Paul said, was something that had to be dealt with, this, a, a very immoral sin in the, uh, in the Corinthian church that he writes to in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he talks about you must purge out the leaven and deal with it because leaven speaks of sin that will begin to move in and gradually influence and start to take over the whole church. It's a little sin that's a secret in an individual's life. And, 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 and like yeast in a lump of dough, it will eventually spread throughout the whole batch of dough. Now, leaven is also a positive principle because Jesus gave us a parable, the parable of the leaven. He says the kingdom of God is like leaven that was sown into the dough until it invaded the whole lump. So the kingdom of God is like a seed that will come into you and it will eventually, it will touch you at your core, at your heart, and transform your life from the inside out. It will be an internal leading and not an external force. And it will begin to move you and motivate you and transform you and it will fuss with you. And it will show you who you are now and not who you used to be. 
because you're a new creation in Christ. And so leaven is not only a negative principle depicting sin, but leaven can also be a positive principle in the likeness of the kingdom of God. When you get the word of the Lord in you and it starts to change you and transform you and you start to think differently and you're, you're free to worship God and you're not under condemnation and just uh, you know uh, sad and, and, and down and cast down all the time. Come on, somebody. And so, so they're basically, Paul is using the negative idea of leaven. He says a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. And so he gives us the cooking principle here and he says, you better cast out all of this leaven of legalism because legalism will kill you. Legalism will rob your joy. It will steal your liberty. It will deplete your wealth. It will push you out of the way when you are running well. It will disqualify you because it will cause you to take up the, 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 the kind of the spirit of Phariseeism when you think you're really something and you start judging everybody else and pointing and looking down the nose with a holier-than-thou kind of look. And that's the mess that Paul says we can't allow that in these churches. We've got to have an atmosphere of grace. We have to have grace. And you know what somebody said? If you don't preach grace strong enough that people think they can do anything they want to, then you're not really preaching grace. But to that I will come back and say, grace is not an excuse to stay in your sin. Grace is the power and the ability of God to get set free from it. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. Now, he says, you know what? Whoever's causing this, I just pray that God smacks them. I'm going to let him handle it. He says, you know, it's obvious I'm not preaching this mess because if I, if I were, I, I wouldn't be being persecuted. If I had stopped preaching salvation through the cross of Christ... Uh, you know, then all these Judaizers wouldn't be offended. All these Pharisees wouldn't be offended. But they're offended because I said, walk away from that nonsense and come to the cross. Because when we come back to the cross, we stay free. Faith not only gets us free, faith in Christ, but faith will keep us free as we go back to the cross and embrace His life for us. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Verse 12, I just want to say this gingerly and carefully. He says, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Literally, the Greek says castrate themselves. He says, you know, they're so concerned about what your equipment looks like, I just wish they'd cut theirs off. Now, if you read your Bibles, it would shock you some of the stuff sometimes that's in the Word of God. And Paul is actually saying, look, I don't have any time for this. Let's, let's, let's move it away from the literal... Cut, cut them off to what he's saying is, I, I, I wish that, that they would just be cut off from you. That's a nice spiritualized way of cleaning it up a little bit and saying, you know, let them be removed from you. They, they want to they, they be consumed with the, 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 the state of uh, your keeping the law of God as a, as a man, as a male. He said, I just wish they would, and this is it right here, I, I wish they would mutilate themselves. Yeah, you know, it's like, tell us what you really think, Paul. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm convinced that if we'd actually open the Bible and read more than a couple of little promises out of a bread box on our kitchen table, that we would be absolutely fascinated at, at, at the humor and, and just God's ability to be able to speak to us in the critical areas of our lives and encourage us and strengthen us. And so this morning as I close this message, I want to remind you that Christ has set us free at the cross. When we abandon grace for law, we always lose. We're losers. By going back to the cross, we stay free. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God, thank you.